Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. I've spent the last two or three weeks nosing around in different places on the internet, studies, seminars, trying to get a feel for the state of our mental health in this country. And by the time I reached the end of what I was doing, my belief had been more deeply confirmed. I wish it had not been. We're facing a mental health crisis. Every indicator points in that direction. Whether you talk about surveys or studies or anecdotal reports, the reality is all the same. We're struggling. We're struggling emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, it's a very difficult time. And so the question becomes, how do we step into that space? What do we do about such realities? Now, I don't want to overwhelm you with numbers, but I decided it would probably be a good idea to at least give you a little bit of the lay of the land. So I'm going to quote from four different sources, just partially and briefly, to give a bit of a sense of where we are in this country. And one would assume that in the larger world, it's not very different. So first of all, from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common adult mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults, 19.1% of the population, age 18 and older, every year. Then a truly disturbing reality, almost two-thirds of those suffering receive no treatment. Anxiety disorders affect 31.9% of adolescents between 13 and 18 years old. Now, that last number, that number on adolescents, varies a bit depending on which source you consider. From a study published by the American Family Physician, anxiety disorders are the most common psychiatric, psychiatric conditions in children. The earlier number was adolescents, affecting nearly 8.3%. The next number deals with adolescents and is a bit lower than the earlier one. Anxiety disorders are the most common psychiatric condition in adolescents, affecting nearly 25%. Thirdly, from the Jerusalem Post in August of 2020, as the worldwide COVID, COVID pandemic raged, more than a quarter, think about this, more than a quarter of U.S. 18 to 24-year-olds and nearly a third of caregivers for adults seriously considered suicide in June. As the coronavirus pandemic continues to have a significant adverse impact on mental health, the finding reported in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report on Friday was based on a survey of 5,412 people carried out by Qualtrics between June 24 and 30. The coronavirus pandemic has been associated with an increase in mental health difficulties for a range of reasons, including both the morbidity of the disease itself and mitigation issues such as social distancing and stay-at-home orders. The pandemic appears to have had a particularly detrimental effect on people in the 18 to 24-year-old age group. Sobering. Sobering by any consideration. The question becomes, what do we do? We're struggling. You listen to the anecdotal reports. People who work in emergency departments, who work at mental health clinics, who are 
therapists who work in school counseling offices. People are saying, I have a list of people. I can't get to them all. We're struggling. For that reason, we've stepped into this space in a series entitled, You Are His Personal Concern. Followed by the question, what if, what if it's possible to live without fear? I'm not talking about the kind of fear that is a healthy fear that causes us to respond to perceived danger in a self-protective way, in a healthy way, and then passes. I'm talking about the kind of fear that grips us and won't let go, the kind of anxiety that follows us around like a dark cloud and gives us no relief. What if it's possible? Could it be possible to live without that? That titled, You Are His Personal Concern, comes from 1 Peter 5, 7. I want to read you that verse and two or three verses that precede it, but I want to read it to you first from an old paraphrase. Some of you will remember this. came about years ago when some were kiddos in this place. J.B. Phillips, called the New Testament in Modern English. I want to read to you what J.B. Phillips writes, starting with, with 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you should defer to one another and wear the overall, kind of like overalls, wear the overall of humility in serving each other. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's strong hand, and in his own good time, he will lift you up. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. That Greek word, you can throw, it's a strong word. In fact, the image I had in my mind as I read about that word was the image of a farmer in overalls, kind of like J.B. Phillips said, in overalls, sweating in the noonday sun, squatting and picking up one of those heavy hay bales and then lofting it into the trailer beside him. That's that word, cast all your anxieties on him. For you are his personal concern. But I'm keenly aware of something. I'm deeply aware of the fact that what we talked about last week, building a solid foundation beneath our feet that consists of a healthy and robust understanding of the good God of Scripture most clearly revealed at a mount called Calvary, I'm, I, I clearly understand that that may not help many people. Even what we read in 1 Peter this week, Cast the full weight of your anxieties on him, for you are his personal concern. For some, that can feel like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. It can feel like giving a trite answer to a deep problem. I'm struggling with fear. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. Well, be comforted. God cares about you. Sometimes that hurts much more than it helps. We cannot give trite answers to real problems, superficial responses to profound challenges, because the question for many is not whether or not that's true. True, some struggle with that. But for many, the question is, okay, so I believe that, but how do I respond? How? That's the question. 
How do I experience that sense that I am God's personal concern? How do I engage this battle with fear and anxiety? So starting today, the rest of our series will represent attempts to answer that question, how? How? Today, the first step, I want to suggest that one part, one irreplaceable part of that answer can be captured in one word. How do I experience God's grace in my life? How do I experience the reality that I am his personal concern? How do I deal with fear and anxiety? The one word answer today that we consider is this word, people. People. We need people. We need others. We cannot do this alone. People. In fact, just consider some of the New Testament assertions about this. If you want to say, well, what about the issue? Why isn't God in the world? Why isn't he in my life? Why isn't he taking action? Then go to Paul's writings. You know what Paul will say? Paul will say, God is in the world. Jesus is in the world. He is present in the world in his body, the body of Christ, of which those of us gathered here this morning are one local expression of the body of Christ on earth. So what Paul is saying is, when you struggle, when you need the presence of Jesus in your life, it is his body that is tasked with responding. People, others. Or turn back a few pages. Go to Matthew's gospel and read what Jesus says there. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where I am. And think about the small groups of which you were a part, the organic small groups, family and friends, the more formal small groups at church, Bible study, service groups. Those small groups where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where I am. That's where Jesus is. So as you become a community, as that group becomes more bonded together and you begin to open up more fully, more completely, you suddenly begin to realize some of my challenges are being cut down to size by sharing them with others who are ministering to me. Others. Or, go back a few pages now to John's Gospel and look in on Jesus and his disciples as they hunker down together the night before the crucifixion of Christ. And you hear Jesus say to them, love one another as I have loved you. And you realize, in some of those lonely mental health struggles, maybe more than anything else, is having the knowledge, the assurance that there's someone with you who loves you. I remember reading years ago, I think I've shared it with some of you, a man who was, who was on his journey through the 12-step program. And he had come to steps three and four. Challenging steps made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So there it was in black and white, his life, all the good, the bad, the ugly, the horrible things, the secret, everything was there. That's the, and then fourth step, 
admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Wow. He said, I did that with my sponsor. I shared with him everything that was there. When we ended, we stood, and my sponsor embraced me and said, I've never loved you more than I love you now. The man wrote, I know I was loved by others before, but I never felt loved until that moment. Love one another as I have loved you. Or go forward some books to the book of James and read where James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. May I paraphrase that? Isn't James saying, Talk with each other about those places in your life that are not working, that have broken down, that need repair, and then gather and pray, and as you do that, you will begin to heal because the other people surrounding you who are praying for you are God's way of giving you the assurance that you are God's personal concern. How do I deal with my fear, my anxiety? One irreplaceable part of that is you need others. Could be a professional who has spent years training for this. It could be a family member who will love you and will be there consistently. Could be a small group that will surround you and help you in the journey. But the bottom line is you need, I need others. So what might that look like? If we were actually to live that out, if we were actually to live this way in our lives, what might it look like? Well, it might look like a dark night five and a half years ago. April 24, 2018, Oak Park, Michigan. A man had come to the end of his rope, the end of his hope, to the brink. And when I say to the brink, I mean literally to the brink. He was on the edge of the bridge, that bridge spanning the busy freeway, just on the brink of ending it all. I don't know what it was, maybe a passerby who saw him and called the police. The police came, but they were afraid. They held back. They were afraid to approach him, afraid that might trigger a jump. So they held back for a bit, trying to assess the situation. And then at about 1 a.m., says Sergeant Jason Brockdorf, we issued a call, a cry of alarm, a cry for help. He said, we had been planning for this, so we knew there would be some response, but we were unprepared for how much and how swift the response would be. They had been working with truck drivers. They issued a call, a cry for help from the truck drivers, and the truck drivers showed up more than they could use. This picture from the news story shows what the truck drivers did. They pulled in, shoulder to shoulder, as it were, under the bridge, and said, if you jump, we're going to catch you. And they stayed and stayed. Four hours of working with the man until finally he walked away on his own into the arms of those who would help him. 
And I looked at that picture. And I said, what if that's the church? What if that's my church? Admittedly, in small groups all over this community, but what if that's my church where somebody in a community that I'm a part of in this church says, John is struggling, Mary needs help, and we rally and we say, we're here, we're lining up shoulder to shoulder. We're going to care for you. We're not going to let you fall. You, you, you know what that is? That's God saying to you, you are my personal concern. I have no idea of the faith commitments of those drivers or those police officers. I don't know. But I will tell you this. You know what the book of James says? Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. The Father of lights. That's a good gift. If you're going to deal with fear and anxiety, you need others. You can't do it alone. So what might that look like? Well, it might look like Molly Lee. Molly Lee was afraid of flying. She was on the flight that day less than a year ago. On the flight from Charlotte to New York City, it's just a shuttle flight, not that big a deal. But she had dreaded this, and now that she's actually sitting in that aisle seat, she's becoming overwhelmed with her fear. Others around her could tell something was not right. Apparently, one or two tried to reach out and console. She began to weep, and it was at that time that a flight attendant saw what was going on. Floyd Dean Shannon saw what was happening with Molly. Now, I have to tell you, just as an aside, I can relate to Molly. There was a time in my life when I was anxiety-ridden about flying. Hadn't been before and have not been since. But for a number of years, when our children were born and very young, when I knew I had a flight coming up, two weeks away, the dread began to build and the anxiety got more heavy. It was brutal. So I can relate to Molly. Well, Floyd Dean Shannon, Bless his righteous soul. He saw what was happening. And he went over, well, well, let me just read to you in Molly's own words and then the words of another person in the same article. Molly says, he was just so reassuring, so calming. He said, you know what? I got you. I'm going to be here for you. Just anything you need, let me know. The article goes on to say, another voice, with every little noise, she'd be like, what was that? And he would say, that's okay, it's okay. That's just the jet bridge pulling away, or whatever the case might be. And that really helped her. He didn't have to do that, you know, and to just see someone extend their heart in that way to a stranger was just beautiful to me, and I wanted to capture it. And so that passenger took a picture, posted it on social media, and it went viral. You'll see the picture on the screen of Floyd Dean Shannon sitting in the aisle holding Molly Lee's Shan Dean Shannon would later say when you get on an aircraft it's not about us it's about you and if you're not feeling good I want to be there to say hey what's wrong is there something I can do isn't that church what's wrong is there something I can do one of the articles telling that story had one line in it that caught my eye. It said this, 
Sometimes the only thing that matters is that someone is holding your hand. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? My my way of being present most of the time in the world today is through my people, through my body. When they reach out and hold a hand, when they listen to a broken heart, when they hug a grieving soul, when they stand with an anxious person, that's me saying, I got you. You're not alone. I'm here. If you're going to do battle, mano a mano with fear and anxiety, you can't do it alone. And friends, that is not a theory to me. I was a young pastor in Austin, Texas. My first assignment after seminary, pastor two churches that I loved and I love to this day. I was single, lived in an apartment by myself, South Austin, long before social media, all the other ways of being connected. For a pretty good period of time, I didn't even have a TV. You're sitting there thinking, what did you do? Well, I read a lot, worked on my stamp collection, exercised, and battled anxiety. At times, crippling anxiety. It was a different world, a different church. It was not the kind of world, certainly not the kind of church where you said, I'm struggling, I'm going under, I don't know what to do. Certainly not the pastor, not a 26-year-old young man with his life before him and full health. What are you talking about? Get a grip. Times I knew exactly what was causing my anxiety. At other times it was free-floating and undefined. But it was all so real. I was rummaging through my mind this past week, kind of flicking the pages of my mental picture album, trying to remember that experience. And I remembered a moment, it's very real to me. I was headed back to my apartment. I don't know where I'd been, visiting, I suppose, something like that. Turning off Ben White Boulevard onto South First Street, South Austin, headed to my apartment. And just weeping openly. Paralyzed by fear. This is not a theory to me. Somewhere in that time, I subscribed to a monthly cassette resource. Cassette. That's the French word for old. <laughs> it was a monthly cassette resource put out by Christianity Today called Preaching Today. Every month, a cassette would come. 
that had two sermons and then in the middle had a preaching workshop or an interview. I came to look forward so much to getting that tape. It was through those tapes, by the end I had several hundred of them, it was through those tapes that I began to listen to some of the shining preachers in the English-speaking world, where I first became acquainted with people like Fred Craddock and John Stott and William Willimon and Benjamin Reeves. And through a prince of pulpiteers, a Presbyterian preacher, senior pastor down at Glendale First Pres, and then later for many years at Pittsburgh First Presbyterian Church, named Bruce Thielman. Wow. His soaring rhetoric drew me in, but it was what he said that captivated me. I will never forget, I have not forgotten, and I will continue to remember one sermon he preached. It was entitled, The Comradeship Christ Commands. It was based on Galatians 6-2, that passage that says, Bear one another's and so fulfill the law of Christ. In that sermon, Thielman said, No Christian should ever have to bear anything alone. can't tell you how that hit me. No Christian should ever have to bear anything alone. And I thought, is that true? Can one actually live life that way? And then he went on to say, but without sharing, there can be no bearing. Because he said, you know what it's like. We encounter each other. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good. How's the church? Packing them in. How's the business? Making money. Family good? Yeah, we're all good. Great. Have a good day. And off we go to go home and to weep in our own souls because of the fear that's crushing us, the anxiety that's overwhelming us, the fact that our lives are falling apart. He said, without sharing, there can be no bearing. A few weeks later, a good friend of mine came and spent the weekend with me. We've been friends for years. And I was wrestling with this. And I so wanted to share and say, you know, th he here's who I am. Here's where I am. And I just couldn't work up the courage. Ironically now, several decades later, we know more about each other's lives than either of us probably wants to know but I couldn't do it and just continued to struggle until in the manifold grace and wisdom of God, a woman named Anita came into my life. And as we began to journey together, I opened up and she opened up. And we mingled our tears. And our life story became one to the degree that to this day we continue to share an open book life with each other. That was the beginning of healing for me. When somebody knows you inside and out, says, I love you, 
You know what that is? That's that person. But that's God saying to you, you are the object of my personal concern. Since then, I have a number of friends with whom I share very openly. So I was thinking about it this week. Not all of them, but most of them are friends since I couldn't tell you when. Childhood. Some cases, our parents were missionaries together before we were thought of. People who don't care what I do, who I am, title, they will cut me down in a moment. But they will also love me fully. And there is no power like that to allow God to work in your life. If you are battling fear and anxiety, you can't do it alone. This text, till I spent some time with it this week and with two or three New Testament scholars who really helped me, was a bit of a puzzle to me because it seemed to me like Peter was dealing with two different realities. First, humility and pride. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in, in due time. Humility and pride. And then that he was dealing with anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then I realized what Peter is saying. He says, when it comes to dealing with this weight, this load of anxieties, you have two possible responses. You can take the way of pride, number one. Do you know what pride says? Pride says, I don't need help. I got it covered. I got a stiff upper lip, a strong back spine. I'm not going to see anybody. I don't need anything. That's pride. And do you know what Peter says just two verses earlier? God opposes the proud. Meaning, if you're looking for an evidence that you are God's personal concern, the way of pride is not going to get it for you. But your second choice, Peter says, is humility. Humility says, I can't do it by myself. This is too big for me. I need help. Could just be a friend. Could be a professional. Could be a 12-step group. Do you know there's a 12-step group entitled EA, Emotions Anonymous? 12-step group that deals with emotions that have taken over your life that you cannot manage in the same way other 12-step groups deal with alcohol, overeating, gambling, sex, whatever the case is. If you come to that point of saying in humility, God, I need help, then recognize that sometimes the way God ministers his favor to us is through others. So that's our choice. I hope this week, I hope this week, if you are battling fear and anxiety, you will not let this week pass without reaching out, without asking for help from some source. Because it just may be through that, while you're struggling with fear and filled with anxiety, that God says to you, you know what? You are an object of my personal concern.
that's our God. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.